a member of the DATC media family. This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock band, Humphreys McGee. Each episode will feature a rotating schedule of insightful show recaps, interviews with members of Team UM, as well as musicians who have been inspired by the band. This is your place for the latest news and happenings in the world of Humphreys McGee, keeping you informed on what's going on or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah J. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you're able to check out the last fresh episode two weeks ago where I dove into all things Ross Stewage with Jimmy Knowledge, co-host of the Umphreys Wow Show. There is a link in the show notes if you'd like to check that out. This week on the show, we're going to unpack the epicness that was Humble 9, November 11th and 12th at Riviera Theater in Chicago, Illinois. Because there was so much that happened throughout the six sets over two nights, I was not going to be able to properly review it all myself. So this week, I'm going to be joined by two guests, Josh Kalki from Umphreaks Anonymous and Adam Scheinberg, Chief Technology Officer for Umphreaks McGee, who was also recently a guest on the show, episode 208, which I will link in the show notes. So I guess this is an understatement, but Umble was pretty fucking incredible. This was my first one, so for that reason, it was really awesome. Finally getting to witness this experience in person, but also because... I hosted a live expert analysis panel both nights that was aired as part of the official stream. That is just an incredible opportunity. We went live before the shows each night and then again after set two. I was joined by this week's guests, Adam and Josh, and... I can't even begin to convey how amazing and special that whole experience was. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it again. It all still feels like a dream. Everybody was sending me pictures of us the second night and seeing the screen I watched back the stream and seeing the screen that was on before it fed to us doing our panel and it says Umbol 9 2022 and then it would say live expert analysis panel coming up and then the Nugs logo underneath it and I screenshot that and I have it to look at and to remember this amazing thing that I accomplished and that the company did. It's, it's just, it's, it was so amazing. I am just beyond grateful. uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's just, it's incredible. The first night we were set up in a green room backstage 
And then night two, they had us in one of the opera boxes right out there with the crowd. And that really gave it that college game day feel, which was really cool to be able to feed off the energy of everybody there that was so hype. And then I totally raged that opera box when we were not filming, and it was the best seat in the house. I mean, they left it empty because the camera was there and they couldn't let anybody be in there because the, our equipment and everything was in there. So I'm like, I'm going to go up there and rage. And it was a very, very good choice. Um, it's just an incredible opportunity. I was definitely nervous the first night, um, even though this is something that I've been doing for my goodness, five years almost the show is and putting my voice out there and talking about Umphreys is my most favorite thing in the world. It was still really uh, nerve wracking <laughs> to think that I was being broadcast live to a whole bunch of people that, you know, I can't see or I don't know. And so the first night I was definitely nervous. Um, but that second night I was ready to go and feeding off the energy of the crowd really, really helped that. There is video of our night two panel on DATC Media's YouTube page, which I will link in the show notes in case you'd like to check that out. And I want to say a huge, huge, huge thank you to Kevin Browning, Umphreys McGee, Keith Greiner, whose company Fierce Productions is responsible for bringing us that stream in the first place, and anyone else that took the time and energy to make my dream and idea manifest into reality. The band was so willing to do this and set aside time for me to do this panel on a day when stress was high, everybody was excited and, and trying to get ready and make sure that this went off time-wise and everything was perfect. So I really appreciate that Kevin Browning and Umphreys McGee believed in this idea and were willing to make it happen when, you know, they had a hundred other things that they needed to worry about, but they made sure that this happened for me. And so for that, that, that means a lot. And of course, Adam and Josh for being a part of this. When I asked each of them if they wanted to be on the panel, they didn't even flinch. They were very excited to be a part of this. So thank you to both of them. And to add to the excitement of the weekend, I was asked by Live for Live Music to write a review of the weekend, which they published on their website. Such an incredible opportunity and a huge honor and another dream of mine. First, to have my writing be published somewhere other than my own media company, but to be asked to write about Umphreys McGee from someone outside of the immediate community. So that was really awesome. Very grateful to have been asked. So a huge thank you to them. And if you did not get a chance to read my article and you'd like to, there is a link in the show notes where you can check that out. Also, anyone wanting some insight about Umbel, check out the Patreon subscriber exclusive video that just dropped the other day. Rob Turner and I chatted with Stasic about the weekend prior to him making his weekly football picks. So if you are a subscriber, check that out. 
and also the video of this conversation that I have with Josh and Adam is on there as well. The only place that you're able to see that video and episodes where I have conversations with people, those will be uploaded prior to the official podcast release. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll have access to that week's episode before it actually airs. So that's very exciting. So if you'd like to be a subscriber, there is a link in the show notes where you can sign up. And if you do so before the end of November, you'll be eligible to receive this year's holiday gift. Very excited to send that out to my awesome subscribers. And a quick shout out to Tyler Christ and Mitchell Dunn for their generous monthly contribution to DATC Media. I really appreciate the shit out of you guys. There will be a whole bunch of coverage in the fall edition of Crooked Conversations featuring a shit ton of amazing photos from DATC photographer James Moran that he took over the two nights. It was incredible sitting there and watching him go through all of his photos after night one. He's just blowing himself away. Yeah, he totally slayed it both nights. He would just show me pictures. I'm like, oh my God, that's my favorite. Oh no, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. It's going to be really awesome to share all of those photos with everybody. All right, so let's get to this week's episode. Adam, Josh, and I venture through on Bowl 9, set by set, each offering our thoughts, opinions, memories, and insight. There's a lot to cover, and I think we did a pretty decent job. It was so great to really dig in about the weekend with these fellas, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy reliving this epic event with us. Hey, Rob. Yeah. I was uh, checking out some people that, you know, I listen to and I'm really interested in online and uh, they have these things called Patreon accounts. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? Well, you know, it can be hard to monetize these podcasts and there are expenses that go along with it. You know, Uh, you have to pay engineers. You have to, you know, people's time is money. There's a lot of things that go into making these podcasts. And, um, Patreon is a way of using membership to help get money in the hands so that these people can create more podcasts and do more and more. Oh, okay. So our friend Sarah J with the DATC Media Company, we could probably help her out then, huh? Dropped Among This Crowd Media is on Patreon now, and, and the, the, if you donate, you will have access to exclusive membership-only membership stuff like uh content and uh there'll be merch items and more and more and you'll be supporting her show dropped among this crowd my other show um um, the umphreys mcgee wow show my show with you stew on this and uh, the crooked conversations magazine and of course you know there's other i I have other podcasts i want to do um sarah did one with joel about summer camp she's talking to band members about doing other things so it just it it inspires creativity. It's a way of paying back, you know? If you want to be a terrestrial ra- radio listener and hear ads all the time, then you'd be a passive listener. But if you want to be a podcast listener, you're a part of a community. You need to step up and support that which you like, whether it's us or someone else. If you love a podcast, support that podcast. That sounds great. Sounds like a great way to help out. Indeed. So check it out. Dropped Among This Crowd on Patreon. 
Well, that's the first thing when you did this podcast on cooking. You were like, well, let's cook. Let's pick something let's go to the from woods. the woods and yeah. make a meal out of it. That was your first yeah. thing. Join us as we talk about food and music. Let's do all new songs. You know, that's just the way I am. I like that instinct. I'm always like that. I'm like, I don't want to play the old shit. I want to play, you know, new, new, new. Politics and conspiracies. The guys don't say complete demolition because they were insane. Which sounds like bullshit. It sounds like bullshit. It's just like 9 11, right? And the wild world of sports. But there was one, like, I'm a Des Bryant fan, but he got screwed in the postseason because they said he didn't finish. He made a catch, he turned his body, stepped over, and then, and then he dropped it. They called it incomplete. And I still felt the Cowboys and Des got screwed. Check out our new podcast called Stew on This. Tune us in and see what's cooking. Hey, this is Rob Turner. I hope you're enjoying this podcast on the Dropped Among This Crowd Media Network. But my friend Jimmy Knowledge and I also have a podcast on this network that we'd like you to listen to, don't we, Jimmy? It's called the Umphreys Wow Show. What we're doing, at least in this season, it uh, we're perfectly willing to let the podcast evolve over the course of time. But season one... We're going through various old school Humphreys McGee songs and exploring them with comments from the band and from the listeners. Generally, we have a side A that's more of a general overview. And then we have a side B where Jimmy Knowledge shines even more than usual. Right, Jimmy? Tell them about side B. Side B is for the curious, the folks that have their scuba gear on and are diving deeper into the improv world and and uh, a lot of the the gooey goodness that happens in in each of these songs they they all have a unique personality and we explore that the best versions of the song the the uh traces of where the song came from and the songs that came from improvisation out of these songs and then we have a metal round with a guest from the umphreys world and they each, Jimmy, myself, and the guest, pick their top three versions of said song. And then you, the listener, vote on them. And there is some waxing poetic. Not too much. Well, maybe sometimes too much. But we appreciate if you give us a chance and listen. It's the Umphreys Wow Show on Dropped Among This Crowd Media. Thank you, Sarah. I tell you, Carl, there's a lot of people out there who have either band or, or they have a business or they're an artist and then, you know, they're looking to reach this music loving, traveling music fan mm-hmm. kind of world, which can be elusive. Yes. They're dreamers. Yes. Like-minded people. What better way than through dropped among this crowd. If you want to, if you want to, cre- if you have a podcast you want to create, mm-hmm. Sarah can provide a platform. She can pl- She can provide um, promotion on social media. She can provide an engineer. Um, or if you want to advertise or if you have any big idea, particularly with the artists, mm-hmm. you want to email Sarah at D atcmediacompany.com she can provide again a platform for your podcast social media promotion uh she can even provide an engineer because folks you know you want to reach fellow umphreys fans or jam fans or music industry people or musicians or just people who love music and travel for it or as in the case of Stu on this Mm -hmm. foodies Mm -hmm. music loving foodies that's right. And if y'all need any help with recipes, you need to get a hold of me. Yeah, you need to get called directly. But if you want stuff with promotion and social media savvy and a podcast platform, you want to email Sarah at DATCmediacompany.com. Sarah at DATCmediacompany.com. Correct. You want to know how to peel and cut an onion? You talk to me. That's Carl. You want to put out a podcast? You want to put out some 
material, some artistic expressions that that you want to get paid for, you contact Sarah J. And if you have old cassettes that you don't know what to do with, you send them to me, Rob Turner. <laughs> All right, so here is my conversation with Josh Kalki and Adam Scheinberg. All right, well, I am here joined again with Adam Scheinberg and Josh Kalki. I'm so excited to talk to you guys again. It's kind of taken me back to last weekend to see both of your faces again. So thank you for joining me on the podcast this week. Really looking forward to deep diving into all things Umble with the expert analysis panel. So let's talk about that first. How awesome of an experience was it for you guys to do something like that? Well, to me, it was really cool. I can't thank you so much, Sarah, for having us on uh, and having us out at Umble to give this expert analysis. I really appreciate it. It was definitely a experience that I will always remember. Uh, it was super cool to get a chance to do something official with the band, uh, at least for the Umfrix Anonymous sort of realm. We haven't done anything official with the band before. So really thank you so much for, for having us uh, on and having me out there to give my analysis. Uh, it was great. It was cool. Umble was awesome too, better than the year beforehand. Music was amazing. Chicago is amazing, still amazing. I feel like having absence made the heart grow fonder with Chicago. And I am now can't wait to get back for another run. I'd love to do another three night shindig sometime, uh, just as long as we don't do New Year's there when the weather is freaking terrible. <laughs> I got to say, I thought that the, um, the whole experience was a lot of fun. It's so cool to be able to not only react in real time, but to be able to share that with a bunch of people who you know are equally excited to be able to watch it. Um, it was awesome to do it in uh, the first night and sort of find our footing, but doing it on the opera box with the crowd behind us, the stage over to our side, uh, it really just felt like a lot of fun. And uh, being able to react and share that with people was also really satisfying. It was and really cool. Also, to have... thank you. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. The two of you are like the perfect people to, to have on the panel and offer your insight. I think doing it the first day I had personally, I had a lot of jitters because I didn't know what to expect, but night two, it was so neat to be out there and have that college game day feel with the energy of the crowd kind of feed off of that. And it was a very, very cool experience. So if anybody wants to check it out, there is video on the DAPC Media YouTube page. You can check out the night two footage of us talking about everything. And if anybody wants some other insight on Umble, Stasic answered some of my questions Thursday, let's say Saturday. Yeah, the snow is kind of <laughs> messed up my days. Um, so on Thursday, when he did his football picks, he offered some insight um, on Umble and that video is available for any of the Patreon subscribers. So check that out. And if you want to become a subscriber, check it out, patreon.com. So 
let's start unpacking or at least try <laughs> to unpack Humble. There was a lot. First, I would love to know who you guys think were the MVP of the weekend. You first, Adam. Oh man, that is a tough question. So um, let me start by saying that uh, frequently at shows, I try to uh, uh, st steal my way into monitor feeds so that I can hear directly what, what the band is hearing. Um, and I really feel, I know this is gonna seem like a cop-out, but I really feel like in several different instances, different people were taking charge. Um, Umble is like the pinnacle event of not just the year, but like the entire Humphreys live catalog. And so I really feel like the band tries their best to put on a killer show. And you can hear that. There's nobody who's slacking. Um, that said, I frequently feel, and this is just my personal opinion, I frequently feel like when band members fill the sound with noise that's kind of invisible, that is what makes Humphreys next level. So Farrag and Joel often play things that are not so much in the front of your ears, but they make it feel like Chris has a thousand arms, right? They make it feel like uh, Brendan and Jake's solos are full and just rich with texture, but in actuality, they're coming from different parts of, uh, of the stage setup that aren't always immediately evident to people. Um, the bass lines, man, sometimes, especially when it's live and the noise is so loud, Sometimes you don't even hear what's happening, but you sense it as you're listening to lead guitar parts. So uh, again, I know I'm a, it's gonna sound like a cop-out, but I really feel like all of the band was at the top of their game and uh, different people had different moments in the spotlight, but, but I gotta give it to all six because they all put it, put it all out there and left nothing uh, on the court. Nice answer. Josh? Well, definitely gotta echo what Adam said. Uh, I completely agree that everybody came with their A game, as 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 one might say during game time. Uh, they were <laughs> they were able to overcome adversity and really, you know, uh, make it happen. So I feel like the band uh, was everybody was operating in full form, and you couldn't you nobody was slacking off. Nobody was having a rough night. Uh, for me, I'd say though, if you wanted to have players of the game, first night would have been Bayless. Uh, I feel like during the DVK and the uh, it was just really fantastic. He did a fantastic job there. And I feel like second night, Joel was just insane. So uh, and Joel is always amazing. Uh, but uh, I, I really feel like on the second night, I've noticed, I felt while I was there that the details he was adding were extraordinary. And then even listening back, I still share that opinion with myself from, from beforehand. I, I think he did a fantastic job. So uh, Bayless first night, Joel second night. <laughs> That's, what about you, Sarah? That's kind of how I felt too. Bayless overall seemed like he was just having such a blast all weekend long. Oh yeah. Maybe some of that had to do with his son's birthday on Saturday. I'm sure that was a lot of fun. Um, but Joel was definitely killing it all weekend. I know he wasn't feeling the best on Friday, um, saving his voice, but he definitely ripped it up too. So I would agree with both of your 
your comments for sure. Everybody absolutely slayed, but if I had to to choose, I, I would agree with Josh with with Bayless and Joel. We of course have to talk about an obvious MVP, Ben Factor, <laughs> who just slayed the lights. Of course, I feel like that goes without saying at this point, but really utilized the video screen that the band was using for the different parts of the weekend. He just blows me away. Every time I see a show, I'm blown away even more. Like, how is this possible? But he is a very obvious MVP from the weekend. Share your thoughts, guys. I will uh, echo something that I think I said uh, during our panel, but if I didn't say it during our panel, I know I shared with both of you uh, off camera, which is lights at a show that is uh, composed of so much improv really play a lead in many scenarios. And especially on something like um, an S2 set, the lights can lead the band just as much as the band leads the lights. Uh, there are some songs, some of which were played, composed songs, where we get to see Ben um, really show us how well he knows the song by changing at the same time as the song. But in those long jams, uh, you can see how red lights uh, guide the band differently than blue lights, which guide differently than flashing lights, which is different than like LEDs that are flying up and down. And when you add that dimension of like video and camera angles that, that are getting fed in there and album covers and all kinds of things, it's amazing to me just how uh, unified the entire presentation is. It's way more than just music when you're there in person. And the recordings, you know, do justice to the music but it's almost impossible to do justice to the experience. Well put. Uh, I would definitely say that I agree with Adam on this one. Um, I saw Ben Factor uh, in Colorado over the summer and felt like Red Rocks was maybe too big of a stage for him to fill. He left a lot of canvas on the table when you would look at the rocks and see that he wasn't playing with the rocks in the same way that uh, I've seen other lighting directors do. But at the Riv or at the other venues that were along that Colorado run, he crushed it. And obviously this run here, this humble run, he was on point. And I felt like he really well, you know, captured and used the space to the fullest. He, he really uh, was able to capture the sound and work with these songs that were really relatively new, especially during the Ross Stewart set. It was pretty amazing to see him make this happen with, uh, you know, with work that was just coming together over the past couple of weeks before, before we saw everything and was everybody's first time hearing it really. So it's super impressive. I was, I was very impressed. And I think that he just keeps getting better and better. Uh, and that's, that's what's so fantastic is we're watching a, a guy who, who's already top class and then getting even, even more on top of his form. And that's, that's really cool to see. You know, yeah. two of those, two of those sets were filled with music that he didn't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's a third of the weekend that he's figuring out in real time. That's, that's light improv. Yeah. Um, and I know he does a lot of light improv when they're jamming well-known songs, but, uh, but to, to have to light songs that you're learning as the band is playing is uh, next level talent. Right. 
keeps him on his toes for sure. And, and like you said, Josh, it's, it's a, such a pleasure and a gift to be able to watch him. And he's, he's not even 30 years old. So he's still so young actually, but so young in his career that it's going to be very interesting to see where he is and what he's doing, even in 10 years, let alone 20 or more. There's so much of his lighting future ahead of him. So it's very exciting. And Umphrey's really, really got lucky with him auditioning and becoming a part of their team. They made such a smart choice with with bringing him on for sure. And you said it perfectly, Adam, making it an experience, which Umbol is an experience in itself, but he captivated that even more. And I think the way that he lights even just regular shows makes all of their shows an experience now. It just takes it to that next level where, like you said, the recordings give it that with the music, but I feel like it's come to that point where you have to be there now to get that full experience because you'll get some of that listening, but not, not fully without being able to see it. And I think that's smart in, in their sense too, because it makes people want to come back and actually experience it live. So he blew me away. He blows me away every time. And it was just, it was incredible. I'm with you. All right, so let's get into music. First up, night one, Songs for Older Women was the album that was the winner, which was what I voted for. So I was very happy about that. And Stasic told me that that's kind of what he wanted from the very beginning. He said that if he was going to put any money on it, he would have put it on song for older women because that's what he wanted anyway so what are your thoughts first of all of the album that won I personally voted for asking for a friend um I I don't know that um amongst the Umphreys crowd that uh people will generally agree with me but that is the newest album it's the band's newest effort it's what they most recently wrote and it makes me feel like that's the one that they're most excited to play. Uh, it's also an interesting opportunity, not only to hear it in its entirety, but to ask the band to play it in a unique way. These are songs that have not had a lot of time in the oven to bake yet in a live setting. So I think it would have been really cool to ask them to play something so new. Uh, two songs walking into Umbol had not been performed live. So, you know, there was a there was a big challenge to ask everybody to uh, make these road ready for Humble. That said, there really was no option here that would have upset me. And uh, getting to hear uh, songs for the women and having a couple of rarities in there, uh, at least now, I think was awesome. And, and they certainly uh, crushed it with their delivery and spreading this over two sets and giving us a couple of huge nuggets in there. Uh, what about you, Josh? So I voted for Songs for Older Women. Uh, I was kind of confused by its inclusion within this vote. Like we didn't get local band Does Oklahoma uh, as an option, but we got this live disc 
Um, and then there were no other, there were some other discs missing, like London Sessions wasn't there at all as an option. Uh, so it was strange that it was there, but I was excited to vote for it. Uh, I hadn't seen the, I don't think I had seen the other side of things. And uh, it, I don't think I'd seen a baby sugar, baby honey sugar darling. So, uh, you know, not too off of my, off, off of my list, which is nice. Um, it was fun. I mean, clearly they crushed it. You can't get a more old school set than songs for older women. Uh, I would have liked asking for a friend as well, even though I haven't been uh, super enamored by the disc. I'm not also opposed to it at all. And it would have just been neat to see it. I would have been okay with Death by Stereo. And that's a disc that I've personally felt like was super um, not well put together. And uh, a lot of great songs that I didn't feel like uh, were really well delivered in, in album form. And I think seeing it live would have been really neat. Um, could have gotten a killer virtue. Uh, so, uh, you know, I get the feeling that we'll get to see Asking for a Friend in its entirety at some point. We, uh, you know, we got Mantis in its entirety at some point. Uh, some of these discs were, I think Local Band Does Okay was gonna get played in Miami is the word on the street, if I remember correctly. So uh, full disc, replays are apparently within the cards for this band and i have a feeling that we will we will get to see those i think it's not us and it's you would have been super cool because we don't get a lot of those tracks at all seeing them try to figure out another having them like wheel out like a 47 string guitar for jake so we could try to figure out how to play that song or whatever would be fantastic and uh you know trying to get somebody out there to do the super crazy parts uh you know i would have it would have been fun. I think those are all, we had no bad options. You're totally right. I'm glad we didn't go with something like, I'm glad it wasn't local band does okay. I'm glad it wasn't Anchor Drops. No offense to Anchor Drops. Love Anchor Drops. It is a fantastic album, but we've been there. It's been done. We've we've done a lot of those. This was new-ish, new, it, no, old new-ish, kind of, so. Let me just right. share that, uh, that uh, London Sessions, that was a, like, one day experiment um right. and i can imagine although i have not had any conversation with anybody i can imagine why as they look through their catalog that was kind of like here's a couple of recordings we did of songs we know very well uh rather than a quote-unquote album in their discography zonky wasn't on there uh which is again you know uh, mashup spectacular and not really an album full of originals so i think i can understand why they said, here's the subset of albums we're willing to do, um, you know, original content, et cetera. See, I see what you're saying, but I, especially with Zonky, but I mean, Songs for Older Women was like recorded at like a frat party or something, right? Or some sort of Madison, some bar party or something. Yeah, shit. Madison's like, Oyster Bar in I mean, South Bend. Abbey yeah. Road is at least like, you know, Abbey Road, right? <laughs> well, I mean, the benefit of the benefit of doing Songs for Older Women is that uh, we don't have kind of a reference track for those things. So redoing that album and giving us updated versions of what they sound like now, uh, you know, 20 something years later, um, uh, I do like that aspect of it. Absolutely. You know, a lot of these albums, they're recorded. Uh, not all albums are recorded with songs that, that we, we know that are already mature. And uh, sometimes they take, as you know, big changes and eventually they don't sound as much like they used to when they were first conceived. Asking for a friend, I believe, 
every track on that is new. And so none of them had ever been performed before recording. In a few years, there may be changes to those songs that sound foreign when you go back to the reference in the studio. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to share this interesting fact um, that I shared on the panel because you didn't join us until later in night one. Adam had to deal with Tropical Storm Nicole and get there, you know, right in what was it, the end of the first set you got to right, right when they walked off stage. I walked in. <laughs> you even had like with... your suitcase and everything stashed in the green That's room right. <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> Yep. That was I went fantastic. right from the plane, right from the plane to the venue. <laughs> I will tell you, nothing filled me with so much joy. I mean, the panel the first night was awesome. You know, being at my first Umble to get that text from you and you were like, I'm in the building. And I was like, yeah. yes, this is my favorite part of the whole night. <laughs> I was so happy you made it. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm so glad I, I ranked ahead of that DBK. <laughs> it was up there. It, it, it was up there for sure. You had shared with me that, and I wrote it here, the winner was roughly 30% of the vote and that Umphreys fans were pretty split on the album they wanted to see with five albums getting at least 10% of the overall vote. So I'm going to put you on the spot. You might not be able to answer this, but what were... So we know songs for older women one. What were like the top, the top three? Well, um, I will top actually tell you. If you have, I will answer. tell you in a moment. Uh, I have to go back <laughs> and look at it because um, okay. I actually don't remember off the top of my head exactly uh, which albums ranked at the front. But if I go and I look here at album results. Um, I'll, I think I'll tell you the top three. Uh, the top three were Songs for Older Women, Local Band Does Okay, and Mantis. Um, okay. But, but the albums behind it, I mean, there, there was a lot of split here. And what really blew my mind is that nothing, I mean, it, it shouldn't be surprising that nothing got no votes, but um, all the albums got a number of votes. And I don't know, I, I guess it's just like the data nerd in me is like, can you imagine that you have a fan base and they're so wildly split that like every album that you've put up for vote has a couple of people who said, yep, that one I want to hear more than anything else. It's interesting. And I think it's really telling too of, first of all, the, the difference in demographic age-wise, um, when they when someone became interested in the band um so I think it's that is really telling of of that it shows the differences in in all the things and what I love so much about the band is that their fan base is so different you have different genders and ages and occupations and walks of life and people that were there from the beginning or people that came in the early 2000s or just are very new fans. And so I think if I were to look at that data, that's kind of the conclusion that I would draw from it is it's very in line with how vast the demographic of fans is. Well, interestingly enough, 
Um, we'll get to raw stewage, but the raw stewage results um, were not so muddy. There were like, there were several songs, several songs that uh, rose to the top uh, by a good margin over others. Whereas the album had far fewer people voting. Uh, that might just be because, you know, it was a couple of different votes and maybe we lost people along the way. Um, but I believe that the most hardcore fans were the ones who showed up to vote for everything. So the hardcore fans, if, if you agree with my assumptions, the hardcore fans were pretty split um, because I would imagine that the earlier votes were the people who logged in once and, you know, we kind of lost people along the way. Yeah. So interesting to me, just that the people who kept showing up were so evenly spread, but that the jams, which are far more uh, subjective, um, really had like the top eight or so really were clearly the top eight. Definitely interesting. Josh, your thoughts? Well, um, I mean, I think it makes sense the top three uh, that were chosen here as far as, and, and, and everything that you guys have been saying as far as how diverse the fan base is, as far as taste and how uh, Umphrey's albums are pretty different and reflective of different sort of forms and genres and time periods for the band. And that everybody's gonna come wanting uh, a little bit of what they enjoy best about the band, but also they seem to enjoy most of everything else too, you know? Uh, they may have one sort of style or form that they enjoy. I like the blissy type jams, or I like the medley type jams, or I like the dance marathons, or the more jamtronic-y sounds. Um, you know, everybody's gonna have that sort of different enjoyment. And uh, you can see that, as you said, uh, more drastically reflected uh, in the album choices, because those albums are definitely more, uh, each one representing a different sound. The jams then are, as you said, much more subjective as well. So it's more, more like, what is your favorite taste? What do, you, what do you like? You can definitely find that out and make that vote. You can find your metal jam, you can find your, uh, your dance jam, but with the albums, it makes sense that they'd be more spread out. I think that it also makes sense that Mantis got three. Mantis is always gonna be something that garners votes because it's just such a well put together disc. Um, and you could, I, I don't know, I still love sitting down and listening to that disc front to back without, uh, you know, skipping a track, even Prophecy Now. Let's just listen to that weird, weird song. Um, and uh, I, I think we'll always make an appearance in these types of uh, votes. So, you know, if, if they want to spread those votes out somewhere else, they'll have to remove it from selection from an option. Let me ask you one quick question before we get to the music. How much do you think... Um, the, the rarity factor plays into votes versus the uh, individual song quality. Because uh, I do sometimes wonder if people are saying, hmm, this is an opportunity to see the other side of things. Or if it's somebody saying, I really just like this album as a whole. Well, personally, I would say, I mean, that's why I voted songs for older women was for the song rarity if if i was choosing i think in our conversation adam i said that i would have voted for um i think it's it's you whichever one that has like it has attachments on it but that attachments and seasons are like the only songs that we get regularly that i would have voted for that as well 
to get the other songs that we usually don't get. And so for me personally, I was voting more of a sense of hearing things that I wasn't going to normally hear instead of voting emotionally. Whereas like, oh, I really love this album and I would love to hear it in its entirety. So I voted more from a hearing rarity standpoint. I, I think I did the same probably. Though, you know, there is some argument to be made that local band does okay would have had like Dobro or, you know, uh, there's always going to be a track or two that we're not hearing, um, you know, from from these discs. I think that it would have, if we got song, uh, safety in numbers, we would have gotten like Liquid. Uh, if it had been bottom half, you'd wonder if they did, it would do like the whole second disc or something, or at least some of the tracks from the second disc would have been weird. Um, so that would have, those are all, I guess, rarities, uh, but uh, I, I voted too for hearing the other side of things and baby sugar, honey, honey baby sugar darling. Uh, <laughs> I keep saying that one wrong too. I have to like stop and, and think about it before I say it. And it's interesting you brought that up too, because that was what Stasek had said was his motivation in wanting to play that album. He wanted to, first of all, play that album in its entirety as the six piece that they are now, because as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know that when that was recorded, uh, Jake and Chris were not in the band yet. Although those are songs that we do get, obviously Haji and Much Obliged, um, you know, we, we do get that semi-regularly. Um, but for him personally, that was his motivation as well as wanting to do that was to get the other side of things and Honey Baby Sugar Darling. So he even was feeling that way about the album choice as well was choosing something with some rarities. I feel like if you were to take a new um freak and go here, you want to hear one disc that was an official release. That's probably going to make you addicted every single track. Handing them songs for older women is a really good choice because you got that DBK, you got the Hodge, you got the much obliged. I mean, for the most part, by that point, people are just going to be, I didn't know. And just, uh, you know, <laughs> fully on board arms around their friends. So, uh, I just feel like that's a good, let's start with that disc and then go from there type situation. But it, I guess that also really depends on who you're talking to. Because if they're metally, I probably would go with Mantis. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about set one. Um, what'd you think, Josh? Uh, set one? Well, I mean, I the, the DBK was incredible. Um, clearly lots and lots and lots of segments the jam was not a sandwich which was great uh and for it being so long and uh improv heavy it was the, the segues were really smooth they got from point a to point b to point c easily uh patient playing one thing i noticed throughout the entire weekend is that the, the playing was very patient we weren't jumping insanely quickly into jams or jumping insanely quickly out of them everything felt paced and uh, that was definitely reflected in the DBK as well. And I was pretty surprised in the first set that we didn't get the whole album. Uh, I guess I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, especially, you know, obviously if you're going to have a DBK that's 30 minutes, that makes sense that you can't play the whole entire thing. But 
it, it, I just kind of thought we were going to get the album, then we were going to get a rest, and then the third set was going to be like the secret track and then other stuff, you know, uh, and I guess that's kind of what happened, but not really, you know, uh, so I love the first set. It was a great way to start the weekend and a great way to sort of ramp up the energy into what we saw the rest of the weekend. Uh, and even usually I'm not a huge fan of first sets throughout long runs because it feels like everybody's still getting ready and getting warmed up. And I felt like they didn't seem like they needed to warm up this weekend. It was really, they were ready to go from the moment of go in night one, so. Absolutely. Well, that was the first three song set for Umble 2 because we had three songs and a walkout tune. Um, Stasek had mentioned to me that that was kind of always the plan. They didn't really think that DVK was going to go as long as it did, but that the idea was to split it up like that because those songs, especially DVK and 2 by 2 are not songs that you can just have short versions of no so that he as he said he felt that the the fans would get cheated actually by shoving it all into one set so that was an interesting standpoint to hear from him I personally think again there were so many major highlights from the weekend but that dbk is up there almost uh, still Adam making it into the building is my favorite part of night one. <laughs> well, let me uh, let me just share a few facts about that DBK that, um, that I think we've discussed, but it was the first DBK since 2009 to pass the 30 minute mark. It's the eighth longest song in Humphrey's history, uh, excluding the improv sets and S2 events and stuff like that. Uh, it's the longest song since the Ringo from December 30th, 2019. Um, all of those make that really notable. So when I got to the venue and, and you know, having missed the first set and I saw the set list, which I did not know that was the plan, I was ecstatic. To me, it was like, if I only had to miss three songs, I basically didn't miss anything. Um, and I'm still kind of happy with how it turned out. But did, when I went back and listened to the first set, and I heard that DBK, and then honestly, I heard that two by two right after it. Like that was so good. And um, you know, I don't want to sound too uh, too bootlicking here, but man, they really did that album justice. And mm -hmm. you know what you want. And you know, I feel like as, as as extended, nevertheless, but but you know, but part of that team. What I want is for Umphreys to come out and kill it. And to have every single person in the building say, holy shit, I am so glad I came here. That was worth the price of admission. I'm so glad I made the trip to Chicago. I'm so glad that I didn't miss this. And I feel like they crushed that first set and gave everybody exactly what they were hoping that it would be. I agree. And I also agree with what Josh said about the first set thing. Um, oftentimes in a run, especially, you know, a multi-night in the same venue, same city. Um, I feel the same way about a lot of first sets. Everybody's still kind of getting their footing, but that was obviously not the case with this. They came out and they were very ready to do this. And that's all anybody was talking about afterward and going into night two was DBK. So 
how do we solve the problem of how to get that DBK onto one side of a vinyl on Hall of Fame 22? <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be the one to answer that question more than anybody else sitting here, Adam. <laughs> I don't want to be influencing any votes here, but I mean, that was my first thought was, how is that not going to uh, be, a, be an all-timer right there? It already moved right to my, my list for sure when I was listening Excellent. to it. I'm like, this, this is moving over there, 100%. Yeah. I, I mean, think, Ken, uh, here's my question. Here would be like a crazy thing is what if that uninvolved from Umbol made it onto the 2022 Hall of Fame desk? Well, let me let me ask you a question. Um, so do you think that Hall of Fame should have multiple songs from the same show? or even the same run, um, let me just leave it at that. Do you think that, that that Hall of Fame should really include multiple selections from the same show or the same run? On the final product? product? On the final product. Because this is something I, I wrestle with, and, and I know I'm not the only one. What if, what if DBK makes it every year? What if uh, you know, several songs from Humble are really the best jams? Does that sort of defeat the spirit of Hall of Fame, which is really supposed to be like the best of for an entire year? And um, does it feel like there might be some bias from people who are voting if one show is sort of disproportionately represented in a best of for an entire year? I mean, we don't have to go too deep on this, but this is something that I definitely think about because like we just came off of that. So when I look at the Hall of Fame 2021 ballots, do we really want DBK, for example, to be on 2021 if we know it's going to be on 2022? Or should it not matter? That's a good question. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. It, it's, ha <laughs> um, it, <laughs> I'm always such a dork when I do that. Um, I think it's just, if it was the best, then it was the best. It's it's kind of hard to say because, like you said, you don't want it to be all from from one show or have multiple because it's supposed to convey that. But if that show just produced all of this, you just it's the best. That's kind of how I feel about it. Gotta say, I agree with Sarah. Um, I, I'm if one show is clear where the band is just crushing it in a way that is unlike any of the other shows that have happened throughout that tour. You can't ignore those jams just for the sake of variety, or if the songs get repeated year after year, because some of those songs are going to be the, uh, you know, like the general canvas for these jams. Utopian's going to get uh, a nod in most Hall of Fames because the middle of Utopian is just this open field for people to go play music in. Uh, so, or, or two by two, or, I mean, it's some of those other tracks are gonna be harder to get, but I really feel, I feel like you can't ignore it or you can't leave something off due to the repetition. If we're gonna get a Ringo every year, then so be it. I, it almost feels to me sometimes like it doesn't matter what song they're playing, so long as once we get to the middle, it's really, really, really great, delicious and juicy jams that I can really move to or get involved with. Uh, 
I don't necessarily mind, even if it's piranhas. And I, and I, I don't like that song at all. <laughs> I think I love piranhas. I love that song so much. I'm so glad they brought that back out during winter tour. I had actually called it like three days before. And I'm like, you know, it'd be really great during this run if we got a piranhas. And then they played it in Cleveland on the last night of that run. And my friends were like, how did you do that? I put it out into the universe and they heard me. I think an advantage though, to something like that. So say like Ringo or DBK was showing up year after year after year, I think and this is just pure speculation, of course, but from a band standpoint, that might actually make them look at that and go, okay, we're obviously really killing it with this song. Maybe we need to water these other plants a little more so that there is the potential for those other songs to show up. I think that that would cause them to be like, okay, let's look at these other songs that, you know, maybe we can throw some more jams into because we're obviously year after year after year just knocking it out of the park with Ringo and two by two and DBK and you know whatever and so in a way I think that might actually be helpful for them where they can say okay let's let's see what we can do with these other songs since we're already killing it very obviously with these other ones and one other thing too uh just real quick I feel like especially with asking for a friend we're seeing that change a little bit, right? Like we're seeing the band really embrace their new tunes and take them for a walk. And I get the feeling that next year during Hall of Fames, you, you, you could see small strides or, uh, you know, something else like that, a, 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 you know, a, a jam from one of those tracks, make it into the Hall of Fame, even in its first year of being out on a spin, because the band is now really working with the songs that that they're releasing that are new and you can tell that they really like them and that makes them want to engage with them and take them in these improvisational directions so i think that while we will probably still get utopian or ringo or something somewhere mantis is going to make an appearance for sure like you, you'll get some new stuff here we aren't going to get maybe someday where it looks like it looked like it was going to go somewhere and then i now we don't really get a lot of maybe some days anymore yeah yep i'm with you and i'm really happy to hear you say that because um any song new world really can launch into just awesome improv. Um, and I mean, there's only so many notes, right? Like any one of them could be the diving board that, uh, that produces the, the gold medal dive. But um, uh, I really hope we see some additional variety because, you know, I am also a huge fish fan. And one of the things that I know that isn't even necessarily a negative, but just there are certain songs that I'm excited to hear Fish play because I know they are very likely to lead to something that's more likely to be a jam I'm going to remember. And I don't think that's always true with Umphrey. Sometimes jams come out of places that I wouldn't have expected. Um, and Umphrey's is really good at getting to uh, that really gut-punching goodness fast. And sometimes that kind of comes out of nowhere. It can, it can, doesn't need five minutes of buildup sometimes to get to the sweet spot. So I hope there's variety in the voting, but, uh, but sorry for that little aside. Um, obviously there's going to be some contenders that come from humble in the 2022 vote. Yeah, for sure. And I, that talking about hall of fame, I still have to get my votes in. I'm like down to the, the wire here, but I've been so focused in, in humble that, 
I was not ready to throw Hall of Fame voting for 2021 in the mix too. So I've like been juggling between listening to Umble and listening to 2021 and, and trying to get my ballot in. So I'm All right, listen, I'm telling you right now, get that ballot in because the, uh, the catch up process of, uh, of that is happening very quickly. <laughs> I'm working on it. I will get it in. I will get it in. Is there like an exact time it has to be in by Monday? I don't remember. <laughs> Okay, there might well, be. Text me and let me know so I know what my deadline is. <laughs> Get those votes in tomorrow. Okay. I, I'm going to stay up all night and cold brew and just headphones. There you go. Be all in it. <laughs> all right. So Can let's we, uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to, uh, to the S2. S2. Like I have said to everyone, I feel like this was the best S2 set in his in humble um, history i thought that the choices that were submitted were really well done and i feel like the way that the band executed everything was also very well done um and Josh, you mentioned about exactly what it is on the panel so quickly for anybody who is listening Please tell us again what S2 is. So uh, S2 is a, a super improvisational event in which uh, fans text in thematic suggestions to the band, and then they are chosen by the band staff and beamed onto a screen behind the band. Uh, and the band tries to then recapture these motifs using improvisational uh, extended jams uh, they try to make something sound the way that you would imagine it would sound based upon what somebody said. So uh, previous examples included like uh, uh, reggae against the machine or uh, Middle Eastern death metal. Um, you know, we got like 666 on Freeze McGee this year and gospel on Freeze McGee. Uh, so um, those are the types of things that happen within an S2. <laughs> and the interesting fact that you had shared too was um, we've been getting S2 since the inaugural year in 2010, but we have yet to see a submission from these sets become something that's in the Umphreys uh, repertoire. I was feeling like, especially that Sharknado and a couple other people had echoed this on the Facebook groups, that felt like that was something that we could see maybe as a walkout tune in the future, the, the dramaticness to that. So that would be interesting to see if, if they took one of these and not, didn't make it into a song, but used it as a walkout tune instead. Um, I do have the list here from this year's theme. So we got Sharknado, Boogie Nights, Falsetto Bayless, which you can never go wrong with falsetto Bayless. No. Um, Umphreys on Infected Mushrooms, Gospel McGee, 666 McGee, which I loved that. The I think I'd said that on, on the panel, the kind of angel on one shoulder and devil on the other shoulder of those two back to back. Um, Umphreys at the Green Mill, Ryan Reed's Poetry, Egyptian Square Dancing, Darth Vader Invades Jamaica, which... I will never get <laughs> Bayless Rasta Vader out of my head ever, ever. That's definitely a highlight. Uh, Country Jake, Moog Madness, Robots in Space, Punk Glory, which I'm 
very certain was the first time that we had seen that song done in a completely different genre. Um, and then Humble Viking Techno. So guys, share your thoughts and highlights from that set. My, uh, my thoughts are that this was an extremely creative group. Uh, my understanding is people who were on the live stream could also text in the voting. So I'll tell you, uh, we crushed that system to the point that it could no longer accept submissions <laughs> after a certain point. And, like Taylor uh, Swift tickets? <laughs> that's right. We were doing our own Taylor Swift-esque <laughs> system. Um, and so, so there were a ton of suggestions available and um, it, it really was um, great that there were so many to choose from. Personally, at, at the time, I think I said that I really liked Unfreeze on Infected Mushrooms and 666 McGee. Um, listening back, 666 McGee is a really cool riff. Uh, but <laughs> I love now and my kids love that Darth Vader invades Jamaica. It is just so clever. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the quotes on top of it, so good. Infected Mushrooms is awesome. I mean, I can't think of a better way to describe an S2 than playing that and getting that really like ethereal connection. That idea of, I don't know what an Umphreys on Infected Mushrooms sounds like, but it's that. Yeah. It definitely is that to me. Yeah. Um, I am, anyone who knows me, I'm a big music fan, but I just do not like country. And I swear to God, Country Jake sounds to me like that song had been written before and that it's as good as any modern country song. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I, I, I love I, that though, too. It really kind of fed into it. Like Darth Vader invades Jamaica. It feels like Bayless had been waiting his whole life to do that. <laughs> and then you have Country Jake and it's like, he's been waiting his whole life to do that. <laughs> He really has. And you know, there's a story that when Jake was much younger, he was almost part of like a country band. He yeah. was an avalanche. He was in yeah. that country band. And then that was that whole thing that, that happened and that dissipated. And yes, yes. He's an Umphreys. So yeah. Thankfully. Was just, it was just, it was in there. It was, it was waiting to come out. So uh, I agree with you about Sharknado. I absolutely felt like a walk-on tune. It was the first song. It really did feel like it. Um and I loved Moog Madness, by the way, which I thought was really cool. And finally, Punk Rock Glory, so cool. And um, if it weren't for where it was in the set, that could have been the set ender. And I would have left just as happy, um, despite the fact that what came after was really good too. But uh, last thing I'll say, and then I'll leave some room for, for Josh, is that uh, I kind of cheesily answered the question in our last podcast when you said, three words to describe Umphreys. And I, I kind of was like, music, every flavor. <laughs> and I sort of feel like the S2 was almost proving that that was a good answer. Cause I'm like, see, <laughs> see right there. <laughs> it was a great answer because it got a tweet from KB. There was just music, every flavor. I'm like, oh my God, he totally listened to that episode. That's great. We're going to see that on, on Umphreys merch somewhere. So it, it's That's coming. That's right. Thank you AI for that album art cover. <laughs> Josh, your thoughts on us too? So uh, I liked it a lot. Um, to me, it was the, you know, if I had to compare sets and stack them, it would have been the weakest set of the weekend. Not that that's a problem. Uh, 
I feel like everything was really, really, really great as far as like jams that were really, really, really fun, but they didn't spend a lot of time with anything. Uh, you know, like looking back on it, there's a lot of tracks in comparison to some of the S2s from years past. Uh, you know, I think there was like maybe 10 themes in comparison to like, you know, a, a good eight or seven theme, you know, S2 that we'd seen beforehand. But maybe it was especially long. Uh, the Darth, Darth Vader Vader's Jamaica is insanely good. The Move Madness is also really great. And I have a special place in my heart for the Punk Rock Glory. Um, things that I think that were funny, but not, you know, necessarily super intriguing were like Pony reads poetry, but I've seen Pony read poetry before in San Diego. So maybe it's just that I've, I'm just used to his prose at this point, man, and I just can't get down with his style. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, otherwise it, it was a lot of fun. It, it, it was a good time set. And I guess that was really, um, you know, where I, my mind was still pretty blown from the first set. So I know I was supposed to be paying extra close attention to S2 and I did a poor job at it, if you like. <laughs> there was a lot, there was a lot to take in and you were still all enthralled in that DBK. So that's- it, Yes, exactly. I do remember being like, wow, this Unfreeze Viking situation here is incredible. And I think that that was something that they held on to the longest. I think that that jam was like a six minute or seven minute long jam. And I, you could tell that they were really feeling it. And I did enjoy, like I said, the Punk Rock Glory is so much fun. I hope that they do that again. We could see Glory in different sort of versions. Uh, you know, as somebody who's seen 100 Glories and probably is, I wouldn't say sick of that song because it's really hard to do. I'd love to see them switch it up a little bit, you know, give it that turn and dub treatment. We could get like, you know, dub glory or techno glory or anything I, I, i'm i'm down with all the glories so let's do all i would be here for dub glory that would be fun <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's move on to set three we got the conclusion of the songs for older women disc starting with front porch that came in um at over 20 minutes anybody have any thoughts on that yeah, if the DBK hadn't been the highlight of the weekend, the front porch would have been, or the night, the front porch definitely would have stepped in and done that. I mean, the two by two was also very incredible, uh, but I feel like it was those three tracks for the win for the evening, for sure. That front porch is smoking. People love the song Front Porch, and uh, they go nuts whether it's short or long. There's something to me about uh, major keys that when they're not overused, people just absolutely love them. This, this jam just felt like it delivered from the second the lyrics kind of ceased all the way to the end of the song. And, uh, you know, I was surrounded by people I really like and just really feeling so happy and thankful to be there. And it, it really just like punctuated the whole weekend, especially given the clusterfuck that was me getting there. Uh, I loved this song it just and it was also the third set so by then the stress of the s2 set which is very you know it's unknown for the crowd but it's i can probably say it's scary for the band because so easy to mess up so to walk into to that third set they knew what they were playing it was like riding that thing into the sunset it felt great it was a nice wraparound porch with all your friends is kind of how it felt for sure <laughs> I, I have all the cheesy analogies when it comes to Umphreys. <laughs> so we rounded out the set with Thin Air, Much Obliged, Haji, 
Moth to the Revenge. Um, and then of course, The Other Side of Things. Last played in full July 20th, 2001. And Joel was talking about this on Twitter and had said that the two times that it was played previously on April 28th, 2012 and November 8th, 2014, it was actually only a verse. And then the other time said that it was one verse. So actually the last time we had seen that song played in full was 20, 20, 21 years ago. So that made it even more special, I thought. And I'm a huge Mo fan. And for me, I feel like the other side of things is Umphrey's Moeiest song. As soon as they play that, it's just oozing with Mo influence, I think. And Stacey kind of talked a little bit about where they were in terms of being influenced by Mo at that time when they had recorded that song. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on, on getting that song? Um, well, let me, let me back up for a second. So you mentioned April 28th, 2012. Uh, obviously, I, I did an episode of your podcast like three weeks ago, and I specifically talked about that show and how I had spoken to Jake about a particular stew which made its way into triple wide so that show if you go back and look at that set list it's insane i mean it, it is filled with uh great stuff so my only experience with that song was this kind of abbreviated version then um to get the first version since 2001 that's already really special uh and this one was awesome but you know ben factor was just a little kid the last time that this was played. I think Brendan joked about that. Brendan loves so. to joke with him about that. <laughs> so um, I love it. I love huge bust outs like that, especially when, you know, the band has spent so much time playing together for the last week. So to be able to come out and nail it after so long. Awesome. For sure. Josh. Uh I think they did amazing with it. Uh, I was very impressed with the jam, considering the fact that it has been, you know, so long since they played it. Felt very cohesive, and uh, like we were following a, uh, a a a jam that had purpose. It wasn't lost at all. Uh, and so, so I don't know. I was very impressed. Uh, I thought it was maybe going to be more sloppy or shorter. Thought that even though it's not super short on songs for older women, I still I don't know what I was thinking, but I think they did a they, they did a great job with it. So I was super happy to hear it. I'd love to hear it continue to exist. Um, it's a it is definitely a not, I, I can see what you're saying by saying it's a Maui type song. It's bouncier than most Dumfries songs. Uh, uh, it, I don't know. It's it. it It'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know if this is going to go back on the shelf and we'll never hear it again, or if this is going to now come out into rotation occasionally, someplace to surprise us. There was a time when I thought that we would never hear Wait Around other than once or twice, and now Wait Around gets played at least two or three times a year. So maybe we will see this. I wouldn't be mad about it, that's for no. sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then ending the disc and the third set with Honey Baby Sugar Darling, not played since October 18th. Uh, 2018. And again, that and the other side of things, I personally never gotten either one of those. So that was really exciting. Your guys, guys' thoughts on 
on that. Baby Honey Sugar Darling is um, it's so funny to me. The song is a joke. I mean, it is literally a joke, but people love the song. Yeah. But it is not supposed to be a song you love. It's supposed to be a joke. So yeah. the fact that it's both is awesome. Yeah. I love it because when you play it, everybody loves it and they love it for different reasons. Yeah. So uh, it's been a while on that one as well. And I believe that was also played at that show from 2012. Um, so I, I, I think it's great. And I hope that that stays a rarity um, because the minute that that becomes common, it will be a joke. Um, so in this situation, the fact that it was kind of the hidden track, it's special. We knew it was the last song of the set felt great. Agreed with Adam. Uh, you know, I think that even giving it the no opener treatment would be too much. We got to keep it as, uh, you know, it's not played as possible here because it is definitely one of those songs that is, is a joke in and of itself. People love that goofiness. And I feel like that track could be right at home along with like anything from the presidency of the United States of America or something, you know, you could hear lump before that song or something to that extent. Uh, so I really feel like, uh, you know, you're totally right. Let's, let's, it was pretty funny, but the woes on the back behind the, uh, uh, you know, the band was great. And it felt like everybody, even people who had no idea what was going on with the song were like, yeah, this is still great. This is a fun, fun time. So, uh, you know, Definitely keep it on the shelf, but I was happy to kick it off. <laughs> Definitely. And then Encore for the first night, we got the debut of Ordinary Times from Asking for a Friend. And so we have two songs that we have yet to heard live. Yeah. We have How About Now and then Work Sauce, which was actually cut from the set list for night two. Right. Um, so those two were still waiting to hear. And I thought the debut of Ordinary Times was fantastic. Um, and then the return of 46 and 2 uh, by Tool with Kanika, which would be the first time that they've ever had a guest on that song to begin with, but then to have Kanika on vocals. Um, they haven't played that since August 30th, 2019. And there is video of that. Uh, my photographer caught some really great video of that. And so that's on the YouTube page too, if anybody wants to check that out. Um, your guys' thoughts on the encore. Love Ordinary Times. Uh, obviously, I want to hear as much of Asking for a Friend as possible. I don't think my love for that album is anything but obvious. <laughs> um, so I was very excited to, to hear that. 46 and 2, great song. Not played a ton by the band. Um, I believe it was played in another umble, but uh, either way, always great to hear the band take on Tool. And uh, we all knew that there was a Doom Flamingo show right afterwards. So everybody knew Kanika was in town and uh, always happy to uh, welcome her to the Umfree stage. So um, yeah. I love Kanika so much. You're muted, Josh. Sorry. I was trying to see how many times 46 and 2 has been played. Uh, so I could, but I'm having a hard time finding it on all things. Um, so I love 46 and 2, and I love when Unfreeze does Tool, but I feel like it's been done 
before, but maybe it's just that humble. And I just have listened 12, 12 times, 12 times. There you go. Yep. So it's not like a, it, it, it's not like I spoiled on 46s and twos, but I feel like I could go for something else off Anima. Like if I could get a third eye, I'd be a super happy man. But uh, uh, other, other than that, I thought it was amazing. You're totally right. Anytime I could see Kanika on stage, always a blast. Uh, I, I, I feel like I can never get sick of listening to her sing. And I feel like I could definitely, that Zep set, if we could have had Kanika sing that back at Red Rocks back in the day, I would have loved that. So I think we should have her sing as much as possible. And Brendan less. <laughs> well, you went to the Doom show though, Adam, right? How was that? It was awesome. Uh, it was at the Metro. It was pretty packed. Um, Kanika is like, you're just transfixed by her when she's on stage. Uh, they played the songs, the Doom songs that I wanted to hear. Um, so I was really happy. That show went way later than uh, it was supposed to. Uh, so I was proper exhausted by the end of the, the night. Uh, but I'm really glad that I got a chance to uh, to see them. And I can imagine Stasek must have been in rough shape after having that bass hanging off of his shoulder for like six plus hours on Friday night. Yeah. How was the Metro? Uh, Metro, that was my first time there. Uh, it was it was great. It's a lot bigger than you would think. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to upset anyone. But it's like like maybe 300 awesome places to stand and like another 300 terrible seats uh, yeah. that are kind of in the back. Uh, and then there's a second floor as well. Um, and uh, it's very close. So the band is very, very close to the, the crowd. And I took advantage of that for sure. There was a lot of like direct uh, interaction with fans and the uh, Doom Flamingo is sort of at the phase where like, if they can create a really personal experience for people, that's going to drive a lot, you know? They're fine. I love Doom Flamingo. I just couldn't do it. I wanted to go. That was my game plan, but it was a really long day. And I was just like, I, I just want you to know, I brought my luggage to the Metro also. <laughs> <laughs> Showed up with, they, they like waved me down. They used that wand to check every pocket you know shoving that thing up my butt and then i and then i walked right by them with a suitcase and a backpack and i was like <laughs> what what was the reason <laughs> well, well, you're just taking your stuff with you <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic all right so let's move on to night two and the set that i'm most excited to talk to you guys about raw stewage which we've not seen since Umbowl 7, May 6, 2016 at the Brooklyn Bowl in Vegas. And if anybody wants to really dig into the history of Ross Stewage and all the songs that were on the ballad, um, by last new episode from like two weeks ago, I talked to Jimmy Knowledge, the co-host of the Umphrey's Wow Show, and we really got into all of that. So give that a listen if you want to really dig into all of the Ross Stew stuff. And yes, it's the same Jimmy that I gave a shout out to if you were watching the panel live on television, just so excited and yelling people's names. So that was completely organic and special. <laughs> so for Ross Stew this year, we were given 
five new songs. Basically, as you mentioned, Adam, in the panel broadcast, 75 minutes, um, basically a brand new album. And we had kind of talked about this before we started recording today of how cohesive these songs were and how it felt like an album listening to it. It felt like we were getting another album in its entirety compared to uh, stews in raw stews in the past. Um, and before I forget, I have to shout out Adam for sticking the song titles into the pregame broadcast um, on Saturday night. I had, I knew a couple of the song titles. So when I like saw you doing it, I'm trying to keep a poker face. I had a couple people reach out to me after they watched, rewatched the stream and they were like, I see what Adam did there. That was so clever. So that was that was pretty funny. Uh, I I was so excited about this raw stew um, for a couple of reasons, but it turned out that that was um, entirely appropriate because they crushed this set. And listen, um, I'm not always this effusive about Humphreys. Um, you know, they, their average of playing is so high uh, that occasionally you have to say, like, is this, is this my favorite Umphreys? And not everything can be your favorite. I am not lying when I say this raw stewage is head and shoulders above any raw stew set I have heard before. Every song felt to me like a real Umphreys song, uh, particularly the first two wide open and exit signs. Like, those sound like things that Bayless would have written um, independent of having called them from other songs. Mm -hmm. The jams in these songs were given space to room to breathe. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I just, I, like, I'm struggling to even think of which was my favorite. Even though going into the weekend, what was eventually called Uninvolved was probably last on my list for which one I thought was best. But on listen back, I swear to you, like I almost cry when I hear the end of that song because those lyrics are so freaking perfect. And they just resonated with me, this idea of like, I don't know, the title is unevolved and this like privileged white guy is looking at himself in the mirror and saying the light or the perspective doesn't really matter. And I need to learn to speak a little more softly and keep breathing. And I just really had like a moment with that song. And that's what happens when music is mature and refined, not when somebody like performs it for the first time after learning it 72 hours before. And if that's not just a testament to how fucking good they are, I don't know what is. Yeah. Well, that uninvolved to me, I had said to a friend of mine that it felt like draconian and onward and upward had a passionate night of love making and uninvolved was the result of that because listening even in the moment i i felt that way but then upon the multiple the embarrassingly amount of listen backs of that song that have happened in the past week um <laughs> i that's how i feel it takes me back to those two songs and it, it, 25 minutes that clocked in and that's the longest Rostu song onward and upward is is like 24 minutes but 
and it was completely unintentional, Stasek said, for it to go that long. They were just so in the pocket and feeling it, and the moment just felt so right that that's what came out of it. It was amazing. And to hear that they had only been working on these songs for such a short amount of time makes it even more captivating of how amazing they are. Uh, a ton of work went into those things. So um, it's awesome to see that that work paid off. Um, here's a little behind the scenes. Uh, after Unevolved, the set had sort of reached an appropriate length. And there was a moment of debate. Do we, do we even play this last song? And uh, the general consensus was, we put in a ton of work. We're not cutting the set. Let's just do it. And mm -hmm. then they came out and crushed and that last song as well, yeah, out of focus okay. as well. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm so glad they did because I, I really feel like it tells a single story. Absolutely. Josh, your thoughts? So I also got to agree that for me, this was the top set of the entire weekend. It was incredible to, I like the songs that we got over this set better than the most recent album. No offense, the most recent album is fantastic. Uh, I, I was spent most of the set just being mind blown at how impressed I was with the songs and how much I, how quickly I was ready to love them. They were, they, they, they didn't take any time for me. It wasn't like, let me taste this. Let me take a couple dips. It was like, oh, okay, this is amazing. Fuck, this is in my face. This is incredible. Um, you know, I think that any sort of issues that the tracks had, which were super minor, would have been just, you know, they just need a little bit more grow time. Like I think wide opens, vocals, uh, Bayless didn't seem quite as comfortable with them. They need a little bit more row time for him to belt those lyrics with confidence. On the other hand, I'm only saying that because things like Exit Signs sounded like he played it 400,000 times. I mean, uh, he, those lyrics were sung super confidently. And to me, that's my favorite song of the Ross Stewart is, is, is Exit Signs. That's an incredible track. But I also feel like Unevolved is going to get there because if you, for the, the segue between the first section and then the rest of the song is a little bit rough. And then once you get into the second portion of the track, everything is inc incredible and uh, super emotionally, uh, it produces uh, significant emotions within my soul as far as like, I feel uh, like I could climb a mountain, like I could run 47 blocks without even thinking about it. Like there's an adrenaline rush going, there's this love for the music and love for the band, the way that they make you feel and for the community all in one moment, just sort of crashing through this auditory sound wave in my brain. I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but no, you're pretty spot on. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely the way that Unevolve feels to me, and I you felt it immediately when you listen to it while you're there. You could feel like I felt like my soul was going to jump out of my skin, uh, and uh, now even going back to it, I still feel that. And you're totally right to say that it's like onward and upward, and Draconian had a baby, and we better not get onward and upward about it because uh, you know where they cut onward i hope i'm getting the right one right like onwards cut now we don't get falsetto bayless giving us that drunk sachet before we then go into heaven and it's taken away some of the uh, quality of that track and i hope we don't have that happen with uninvolved uninvolved needs to stay a cohesive full package 
with the princey vibes that are at the beginning and uh, then the rest of the tune enveloping into this epic sort of emotional diatribe. I, I feel like it has to stay that way. Um, also, one last thing to note is I feel like Exit Science definitely has some smooth criminal vibes going in on that first, uh, that riff. I definitely felt like dun, 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 dun. Uh, every time I listen to it, I start sort of Michael Jacksoning around the house. And, uh, you know, not, the whole track changes very much, but that, that riff very much has a, a MJ, MJ vibes going. <laughs> For sure. I had somebody mention to me that they felt like Pearl Jam should cover things I'd like to lose that I, for me too, felt like it had a very Pearl Jammy kind of vibe too. And it would be cool to, to hear Eddie Vedder cover Umphreys anyways, but that would be <laughs> a good song for them to tackle. I thought it was interesting that one of the uh, boats, one of the ballad entries, Step and Razor, was used in two of the new tunes this year, Wide Open and Out of Focus. And I believe that's probably the first time that's happened. They've taken one thing and put it in both. And you mentioned, Adam, also this was the first time that two previous uh, outtakes from a, from a demo, from a studio, were put into raw stewage in Out of Focus and Things I'd Like to Lose very much like somebody, you know, cleaning out their closet during COVID and finding these hidden treasures to to stick in there. So that was a pretty interesting thing with these songs from this year as well. Yeah, not just studio outtakes, but very old studio outtakes. Yeah. So, I mean, these things have been sitting 11 years just waiting for a home. And um, I, I haven't spoken to him about it, but my understanding is that it was like, while Brendan was stitching together the votes, he was like, you know, this thing from a long time ago kind of feels like it would make sense here. So I love that, you know, we, we voted on the stews, but we didn't say that they couldn't use other things also. So how awesome is that, that we, we finally repurposed, um, I think it's called Little Kids. Is little Kids, there? yeah, Little Kids. And then the other one was actually called Thing things I'd like to lose, but little things kids like was, yeah. yeah, little kids was the thing that came from, from Boondock. So yeah, 2014 and, and 2011. So that's exciting that there's these hidden things that can pop up at any time and become something else. So I it's just excited. And I keep coming back to that set and, and I'm excited. Me and Jimmy knowledge are going to really dig into that set again. And, and that's going to be fun. So Anything else you guys would like to, to mention about Rustu before we wrap up the last two sets of the weekend? Let's just hope that we see, uh, honestly, all of these songs again, but at least some of them. Uh, they're too good to just be one-timers. You agree. Exactly. Adam's got it. Yeah, agree, agree. <laughs> I mean, they're obviously very comfortable with them, so I, I don't see see why not and I mean if we're already getting a 25 minute version of uninvolved I mean that maturing is is going to be something very epic to witness so I'm do excited they push it? do they truncate it do they sandwich it where are we going from here is this thing getting split and we're sticking something in the middle of it is it getting stuck in the middle of something else like what's going to happen <laughs> first set will get on second set will get evolved that's right <laughs> I love I love the irony of the title too 
That's right. I think one of my favorite parts about it as well. So on to choose your own adventure, which I think was again, a very great set. I feel like the audience, whether voting at home or voting in person, they did a very nice job of choosing this adventure. We had Last Man Swerving, Small Strides, the Miro story, which was, that was so awesome. Such a really great way to honor Mike Miro. Uh, Pay the Snucka, Althea, uh, Wappy, and Slacker. My favorite part of that was the dance party in Small Strides. Me and Josh were cutting a rug up there in our, as some people call it, the honey bucket. Um, <laughs> and then, and as soon as that popped up, I leaned over to him and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a dance party. My daughter was texting me. She was watching the stream and she's like, what does that J-O at the end mean? And I was like, dance party. She's like, mom, that makes no sense. I'm like, just wait. <laughs> so what are your thoughts and highlights from the Choose Your Own Adventure? I felt like this is the best one we've had so far. Uh, all the adventures that we went upon were excellent quality jams. And if you go back and listen to it, it sounds like it could be a good regular set. You know, the snuckers, the snucker was fantastic. Uh, the small strikes jam is fantastic. Uh, really nothing that was a throwaway. Uh, they didn't look at any of these options and then just sort of meet them with the standard mediocreness. Everything was really well done. And as you said, I think the Miro story was super touching and not that we needed a moment to break up the music or anything, but it was nice to get that moment where, you know, there's uh, some, you know, person to person connectivity reflecting back on the history of the band and talking about, you know, this thing that started with this awesome person, this awesome musician and how much the band misses him. It was a good tribute. Well, not to uh, not to make too weird of a transition, but this was my least favorite set of the weekend. Not because anything about it was bad, um, but every other set was so good that um, it's hard to you know to choose how to rank them. Um, but I think my main reason is that Small Strides was the clear highlight for me. I love and have for a long time loved the song Althea. So. If um, if Humphreys is going to play the dead, Althea is like in my top 10 for sure that I would want to hear. Um, but I'm not sure that any of the other songs are like, uh, forget all time best. Like none of them are notable compared to the degree that other songs are, even songs from the next set. So while I loved every minute of this, uh, set three was great. Set one was incredible. And set two kind of has to bring up the rear. Also, I am like still sort of angry that they made people choose between August uh, moccasins and last man swerving. Like, <laughs> that's a hard one. That's like Sophie's choice. You got to like pick which kid lives, you know? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> that's when your kids come to you and go, which one do you love more? And you're like, uh, I love you all for different reasons. <laughs> Do the dishes and I'll tell you which one I love more. <laughs> for sure. Which one's not pissing me off right now. <laughs> all right. So that brings us to set three, the final set of the weekend. And as you had mentioned, Adam, the, you know, bringing it into home, kind of the coast coasting after everything that they had done. This was their opportunity to really kind of loosen their ties and, and enjoy everything that they had done. 
Um, so we got the silent type, speak up, bridgeless, which they sandwiched with the floor and a scapegoat inside of there. Uh, what are your thoughts on set three? I will formally retract my sliding into home thing because I felt like they came out screaming. And when I look at this set, here's my memory. Um, and I, I've only, I'm not even sure if I've listened to this entire set back yet. Silent type crushed. I thought yeah. it was awesome. It was just awesome. Speak up is so much fun. But what was particularly fun is the view that I had where I was sitting, I was watching people in the front row singing along and just watching like so many people who looked so different singing every lyric. And Speak Up is not like, it, to me, that song doesn't sound like standard Umphreys songs. So to watch so many people be into it too, followed by Bridgeless, which is always awesome. The Floor, which was a fairly standard version, but it was just rocking. And I, I just feel like that is just such like an Umphreys song. Escape Goat, my first time seeing that song, which was, you know, through the roof and then bringing it home with that screaming, awesome end to Bridgeless. I loved this set. This, it didn't, it wasn't like we had to work for this one because we knew these songs, but man, did they come out and perform. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Josh. Sorry about that, the mute. <laughs> um, I, I love any set that you can put a scapegoat into. So uh, I think that Adam's recollection is correct. I haven't listened back to this set either, um, but I think if I remember correctly, the silent type was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, the bridge list, I also remember being particularly good. Uh, I am not a huge speak up type of guy, but I think that if I had Adam's experience, it probably would be because seeing, seeing a bunch of people singing sounds like it would be very, very cool. Uh, and uh, I oftentimes, if, if you have followed my Twitter before, you've probably heard me complain about how I find the floor to oftentimes be a space filler. This one, it felt like was very appropriately placed. Um, so I had no issues with the floor here. Um, it wasn't like a Salt Lake City floor where we were going to go on in a crazy jam. And I've, it's, it's done it before, but uh, it was still very fun and very well placed. Uh, the bridge list also agreed super duper duper high, high, high energy, but the silent type and the scapegoat were really the, the um, you know, and the highlights of the set for me. Uh, when we get to, our, are we going to talk about the encore second? Because the encore is really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're definitely going to mention the encore. I agree uh, with the silent type. That was one that has already moved kind of to my humble highlights playlist that I've been putting together. Um, I agree. It's the silent type too, and I've said this before on my show that it's one of those songs that it's not necessarily my favorite in terms of like vocally. Um, you know, I'm not like, oh yes, silent type. But the fact of the jam vehicle that I know that it is, is what gets me really excited. And it, this is just another case of that for sure. Miss Sig Cables. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then of course the encore was a lot of fun with Brendan and Jake up in the opera box um with the acoustic guitars for the cover of kielbasa by tenacious d that one we haven't seen in a little bit 2017 april 4th and i thought it was pretty silly that they're right there singing kielbasa and bayless's kids are just right there 
<laughs> I thought that was just they don't know fantastic. they don't know what was happening <laughs> I just love that like at the beginning of the show Bayless was making a bigger deal of it but by the end of the show he was just like fuck I had to sing Snuka I had to now I'm singing Kielbasa Sausage I think we're just screwed here on this but let's just go all in fuck it <laughs> I mean he did say to his kid you know there's a time and a place and it's not at school it's at the rock show and so he was he was a perfect example of that. If we're going to do this, as long as he's not singing it on the playground the next day, we're, we're good. <laughs> so I, I think Kilbasa is a hilarious song anyway. I really like that ending. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was really cool how the band came in and gave them enough time to run through. Uh, incidentally, the way to get from that opera box to the stage, like there's a number of areas where if you're not paying attention, you can smack your head on concrete. So that was like a, that was like a chaotic run all the way back through to get there. But man, uh, that was a lot of fun that they did that. Did did you know that that was going to happen? I did not know that was going to happen. I think that was a successful surprise. Did you know that was going to happen? Yeah. I saw the, the, uh, the kind of rehearsal of how fast that would, that would be. And the reason the band came in at exactly that time was to provide enough, like, filler for that like gfc jam while they were kind of coming through dropping the acoustics and picking up their electrics on the way to stage so that was a lot of fun um and i i think it was well played even though i know that also is a joke but if we're gonna do a joke song for the encore let it be a good joke let it be a good one and i will tell you there is just something very cathartic about yelling fuck yeah with all these other people and just it was yeah that was probably my favorite part of that whole thing and Ben Factor having it on the screen in the back but yeah there's just something about yelling fuck yeah as loud as you possibly can I was done broadcasting for the weekend so I just let it out because that's exactly how I felt so that was that was awesome part for sure and the triple wide which I I never get sick of the triple wide. It's a nice way to get the last of the of the goodness out. Did you think this was like a particularly good triple wide, even though it was kind of brief? Because it felt to me like power packed. It was dense. Yes. And yes. Uh, I mean, we all knew it was going to be the last song too, right? So it was like a summation of the weekend. I thought this version was just on fire. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, it's it it, a nug that comes in at nine minutes, but like really how much of that, I don't know if it ended right after, you know, sometimes there's audience noise at the end. So in terms of longevity, there's certainly been longer triple wides, of course, but it was definitely power packed. I feel like that kind of is the case with what our broadcasts were. It felt like there was so much, but we would time and be like, that was only five minutes, but there was so much to it. And I feel that's kind of the case with the way that the triple wide was too. Josh, your thoughts? Absolutely. No, I completely agree. There was a power packed triple wide. It was a, you know, it, it, it wasn't uh it wasn't long by any stretch, but it was definitely a bunch of fun. And I think that you're totally right because of the fact that it was the culmination of the weekend. Uh, there was a lot of sentimental value to it. There was a lot of like, let's get it all in here while we can. This is the last moment of the night. Even though you got three nights worth of shows or three nights worth of sets in two nights, it still felt like it went way too fast. And uh, at, at the end of that triple wide, I pretty much had to be forced to leave the riff because I didn't want to go. <laughs> 
for sure. Kicking and screaming or dragging you out. That's right. Exactly. I was trying to figure out how to rewind time. Was not there, was, there was something, uh, at least the way I'm feeling right now, there was something that felt very like all is one in that room because the band was just so strong for raw stewage. And because Umbol is already like, it's a huge time commitment. If you don't, if you're not an Umphreys fan, why would you go to this long show, this mm -hmm. particular one? So you're, you're already kind of electing uh, a fan base that's like super committed. It really felt like everybody was just so happy with the show that we had just seen. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's part of what sort of propelled the triple wide into next gen territory was this idea of we all just survived this whole long thing and now we're winding it down and man what what a success it was yeah yeah like we had done it you know it was kind of like a high five to everybody you know we had done it we had survived the weekend we had we'd accomplished this amazing thing I felt the accomplishment of having sat there and watched those guys work for 12 hours yeah, yeah. I just sat around but yeah I definitely <laughs> all right so is there anything else that i mean we touched on a lot so is there anything else that you guys would like to add or any final thoughts about bowl nine my um you know these guys put a ton of work into humble this is not just showing up and playing a show. Um, and it's it's a big ask to play two shows, three sets, where we expect to see top tier jamming. We expect to see bust outs. We want to see creativity. Um, that's a lot to put on the shoulders of guys who have been doing this for 25 years. And you know to be able to come out and impress us every single time. And to know that if they don't, we're going to summarily shit on them on a podcast the next week or Twitter immediately post show. That's a lot of, that's a lot of stress. Um, this one, I walked out and I literally thought to myself, I can't wait for Humble 10. Yeah. And it can't, sadly, these things can't happen a lot or the specialness really does go away. Right. Like even if Humble 10 was not till 2024, as much as that would make me unhappy, um, I get it, but man, it's, it's going to be tough to top this one because it was just such, it was just so high energy the entire time, such high quality the entire time. And they really did leave like everything on the floor. Somebody had asked me, I don't remember when it was, maybe it was some point during night two, somebody had texted me and asked me, um, if I felt that this one was better than Umbul 4, because I have said multiple times that Umbul 4 is my favorite. And in the moment I said, I didn't know. And looking back on it now, and again, it, there is going to be the attendance bias, I think factor, factored into that. This was my first Umbul. And then of course, the, the awesomeness of doing the panel and having my business that I've been working on for so long grow and expand in that way. Um, you know, so that is also probably factored into this and the specialness of that, accomplishing things, basically manifesting these ideas into reality. Um, but musically, I would say that it 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 might it might be better than Umbul Four. I mean, Umbul Four was it was very special. I, I still enjoy listening to it, of course, but 
again, I mean, with this raw stew and the Stuart sets and the album, I mean, it's, it was a really, really special weekend musically. Um, so yeah, I think answering that question, then I, yeah, I think this is, this is up there and it's, that says a lot with it being the ninth humble and the fact that this band has been doing it for 25 years. I think, you know, that says a lot about them as well is that they can do this and just completely knock it out. It's an incredible thing to watch and an incredible thing to be a part of. So, so humble four was still a, a one night four set affair. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at it, there's some good stuff in the first set here, uh, the Ross Stewart set that is, um, which has cut the cable and final word and a bunch of songs that we didn't really ever see in future set lists. It had an awesome uh, like fan voted set, uh, the all request set that had some great stuff. It had an S2 and then it had a, um, a choose your own adventure set that was full of greatest hits. I think I told you I love Dumble for I think Umbol 9 is head and shoulders above all other Umbols. Um, based on the creativity of the S2 set, the high quality delivery of Songs for Older Women, the raw stewage set, which honestly, I mean, it, it's too early to say, but like it might be up there with one of my favorite sets of Umbri's music ever. Um, it's just, I, I honestly feel like it was that good somebody is going to assume I'm overrating or that there's recency bias. Maybe both of those are true to some extent. I still think when that wears off, we're still going to have the same conclusion, which was the quality level was just so high. And in general, there are hits and misses. This one did, I didn't really feel like there were misses. Agree. You're here. Uh, I went to Humble last year as my first Humble. And uh, I felt like this was light years better than last year. Um, as far as like the stewage, I agree as well. All the songs are really, really, really amazing. I feel like we've had some pretty amazing stew sets recently when they've made their appearances. Like Draconian is one of my favorite songs ever. Stinko's Ascension is a song that I, uh, you know, for a band that I've been seeing since 2008 or 2006, it's been pretty, uh, you know, amazing to me to see that there's still tracks that they roll out that I'm like, this is freaking insane. I am in love with this and I'm obsessed with this. Uh, And I feel like stuff like Mad Love or Remind Me were all great and all like that. I feel like these songs also can make their way into that type of situation, the the Rossu songs. And probably the most fun I've had an Umfrey show in, you know, since the pandemic. I mean, I loved Iceland. Iceland was incredible. And I also really, really, really loved the Colorado run, but it was also incredible. But this was, I, I don't know if it was maybe because of the fact that I was in the Midwest and in the Midwest is like my childhood home or because of the fact that it was, you know, felt like the Riv was the right venue and it was sold the right way. It wasn't oversold. It was, uh, you know, the energy was really right too. Um, so I don't know probably my favorite Humphreys experience in the past year. I'm probably going to kick my own. That might be recency, recency bias. I might kick my own ass later on for saying that. But uh, as of right now, this I felt way different leaving this than I felt leaving the cap last year uh, as far as like how I felt changed by the music. So that's, that's how I feel about it. 
The only thing missing was Chicago, the resurrection of the song Chicago. Right. That's you want it so bad, Adam. <laughs> I will not stop lobbying until my request is satisfied. <laughs> Let's not do that. So, hey, if they bring back Humboldt, do you think that Chicago is the place to be? Should they do it someplace else? Should they do it someplace new? Uh, I mean, I love Chicago. It's one of my, it is my favorite city. So I'm going to say, yeah, I think okay. we should keep it in Chicago. I feel like, um, for, uh, like Humboldt would be so much fun to do somewhere else, but it doesn't really feel like Humboldt is at home if it's somewhere else. Maybe New York, maybe like Vegas to me, it's, that's a great venue, but I'm not sure I love it for Humble. Uh, where else could it go that it would really feel like it's the, the King Humphreys event, you know? You'd have to go to someplace like historical. Yeah, it's just it's Humphreys history. Yeah, it seems to me like we want to be where it started-ish. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, as winter winter wraps around Chicago. Yeah. And also, do you think this size event is the right size or should it be smaller or bigger? <laughs> Small, smaller means that you're going to leave some people out. Right. Um, and while that's a lot of fun to be somewhere exclusive, um, I am at a, at a different place in my life and a different place with Humphreys where it's like, fuck that. We, we want the people who want to see it to see it. Okay. Right. Yeah. And we always I think Umphreys wants the venue to be exactly as big as the amount of paying customers they have. I'm sure no one else in the organization would describe it that way. But we want everyone to be comfortable in the room, to have great audio. Chris is going to make sure of that to have great visuals. Ben's going to make sure of that to have great music. The band is going to make sure of that and to have the space to dance and enjoy and not one inch more than that, but not one inch less than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well said. Well you said. heard of Humphreys. No more shows at the belly up. Adam says no more shows at the belly up. It's too small. We all get squeezed. Move to the Wheeler Opera House. It's bigger. It's still in Aspen. We can still go to Aspen. Or move it to House of Blues Orlando. <laughs> yes. Well, skiing there is a lot harder. It is. It is a lot harder unless you're on water. <laughs> well, that could be the new experience. <laughs> we'll see how Joel likes it. I don't know if he can be sold on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, this has been so awesome. I can't thank you enough for doing the panel with me at Umble. It still all feels like a dream watching the videos and seeing the pictures. People will text me pictures of different angles when we were out on the floor. And I just want to thank the both of you. I'm going to try not to cry here. Um, just for me, this was such a really special thing for my dreams and my company. And to see this manifest into reality, um, you know, just especially after this past year, personally in my life to come to something as amazing as this. And the fact that both of you were, so just like, yeah, let's do this. And didn't think that it, would, it was crazy. And to just be up there and experience that with you guys is very special. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of that and helping make it a reality and dealing with my nervousness. And <laughs> it was it was really special to share that with both of you. And 
I just, I can't say thank you enough. And I'm excited to do that again with both of you, maybe for the January New York run. And this has been so amazing to look back on the whole weekend with the both of you as well and just dig all into it. So I just, I just want to thank you both so much for everything. You're both amazing and I love you both so much. So thank you. We will, uh, we will chuckle about this when you've done 10 live streams and you're an old pro. <laughs> I thought about that yeah. after when I was like riding home on the train. I'm like, what was I so nervous about that first night? Like what? Sam said that to me too backstage. He's like, what is this vibe on you? He goes, this is not a vibe I'm used to seeing on you. And I'm like, I'm just really nervous. He goes, what do you have to be nervous about? This is what you do. This is what you talk about. You know what you're doing. And I'm like, I know, but. Yeah, you overcame adversity and executed. <laughs> See, That's yeah. right. <laughs> you guys are the best. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was so awesome. And it's hard to believe that last week at this time we were getting ready for night two of humble like if that just blows my mind to think that it was only a week ago it was just amazing so thank you both of you for being there and being a part of this I couldn't have thought of anybody else and to think Adam I just met you like what a month ago I know and now you're like we're old friends and I'm so grateful to have you in my life. And Josh, you are my brother. I love you so much. So thank you guys, really. Well, thanks for having us. It was so much fun. All right. So that's everything I have for this week of the show. Thank you again so much to Adam and Josh for taking the time to relive Umbol 9 with me. This was just so much fun. And thank you both again for being a part of the expert analysis panel. There's a whole bunch of links in the show notes for anything referenced in this episode, where you can listen to the shows from the weekend, set lists, any videos, and so much more, as well as how you can support DATC Media on Patreon. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you around these parts in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate. I am so grateful for all of you. Mad love.